Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Mark Marin on his latest comedy special on podcasting and nearly ending up in Avatar. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, we've got uh, not one, but two podcasters for your pleasure on today's episode. Not one, but two bearded, Jewy guys who love movies and food, me and Mark Marin. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, it was a live taping through 92NY, and uh, it, it was a great night. Anyway, well, we're going to get to that in a second. That is the main event, though, on the show this week. A couple housekeeping things and just things to remind you of. Um, we're trying to keep to a really regimented schedule on when the podcast comes out. And this is more, I'm almost saying this more to myself than to you, but you should know this, too, as a devoted, happy, sick, confused listener. Uh, because sometimes over the years, I've been a little erratic in when uh, we've posted the podcast. Well, we're, we're, we're dialing it in, guys. We're, we're getting professional nine years into the show. <laughs> um, every Thursday morning, expect a new episode of Happy, Sick, Confused. We've been doing it the last month or so like that, and we are going to continue as such. And I am just dedicated to just staying on schedule, damn it, for once. Uh, so Thursday's a brand new episode of Happy, Sick, Confused. But you're saying, Josh... I'm listening to this on Monday. I just downloaded a new episode on Monday. You're you're lying to me. I'm not lying to you. This is a bonus episode. So um, bonus episodes will probably go up on Mondays when possible, though that could be a little bit more all over the place because they're bonus. Um, so this Thursday's episode, the quote-unquote regular episode of the podcast, will be Evangeline Lilly, star of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. It's fantastic, uh, non-spoilery conversation about her career. Uh, from Lost and The Hobbit uh, to the Ant-Man films, and she is um, she's she's wild in the best possible way ways. She's open and honest, and I've known her forever. And it's her first visit to the podcast, and it's a good one. So expect that one this Thursday, just in time for Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania to be out. Um, other things to mention: I mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before. Uh, if you want to listen and watch, one cool way to do it now is on Spotify. I did not know this, but on Spotify, you can now actually also watch episodes of the podcast. So give us a try. Subscribe on Spotify. Uh, but that being said, subscribe wherever you, you want on any podcast platform. We're, we're there for you. On YouTube, you can also subscribe uh, to the channel and watch on YouTube.com slash Josh Horowitz and watch this conversation and all our conversations in video form. And finally, the only other plug I'll mention is the Patreon, which is fantastic, and it's going so well. I got a chance to meet some of our new executive producers uh, at our recent Mark Marin event. We welcomed them with VIP seats. I gave them some, some cool swag, some free autographed uh, posters, uh, and they seem to have a good time. So join the club, patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. Uh, depending on the level that you join at, you're going to get early access, you're going to get swag, and at the upper executive producer tier, you're going to get invites to all our events with VIP seating, uh, and you'll get to even hang with me from you know, now and then. And that, that guys, there's no price tag on that. That is just incomparable. Um, but on a more serious note, let's, let's talk about the, about the conversation this week, um, or this bonus day. Mark Marin. So Mark Marin is many things. Uh, I came to him really through his podcast, WTF, which was and is kind of, to me, the big kahuna on 
podcast interview mountain. <laughs> it's one I still listen to religiously. Uh, he does it his way. He can bring out such depth and interesting um, takes from all his, his his guests, whether whether I know them or not. So this was a real treat because he, I'm not sure if Happy, Sad, Confused would, would exist in the form it does without listening to Mark Maron for many years. And not only that, of course, he is a brilliant stand-up. First and foremost, that's what he's been for, what, 35 years or something. Um, and his latest special is fantastic. It's on HBO Max. It just dropped. It's called From Bleak to Dark. Uh, and it's getting great reviews, and justifiably so, because it deals with a lot of different aspects of the world and his life now. Uh, and I think one part that's going to really resonate with folks is the grief and trauma he experienced going through the last couple of years, not only through the pandemic and what we've all been through, but losing a loved one. And for those that don't know, Mark was uh, romantically involved with a great filmmaker by the name of Lynn Shelton, who uh, passed away very early in the pandemic, uh, just like kind of a freak random thing. It wasn't even COVID. It was just a random horrible uh, situation. Anyway, he deals with it and talks about it at length in the special, and it's really moving. And in fact, this conversation, you know, though 99% very, very, very funny, gets real, gets deep at times. And there's there's a real heartfelt moment where, you know, Mark tears up towards the end of this conversation, and it really moved me in the audience. And, you know, that, that, um, that trauma, that grief is still very present in him. Um, anyway, the, the, the special, yes, it's deep and profound in, the, in, in those ways, but it's also very, very funny, of course. Mark can't help himself. He is one of our, our greats out there. So um, if you haven't checked out his stand-up, and only known through the podcast, check out, I know it's weird to say, because like Mark probably and does consider himself first and foremost a stand-up, but um, check out From Bleak to Dark. It's a great one. It's on HBO Max right now. We also talk about his acting career. Um, he is currently seen in Two Leslie, which until a couple weeks ago, nobody knew existed, including myself. But that is, of course, the film that got Andrea Riseborough an acting nomination from the Oscars. Uh, we talk about that and that insanity. Uh, and maybe most amusingly for me in this conversation is Mark's anecdote about auditioning for James Cameron to be in Avatar, the new Avatar films. Stay tuned for that. There's a five-minute riff on auditioning for James Cameron that had me uh, in stitches and will make you laugh, too, I have a feeling. So uh, this was great, guys. This was a live event. As I said, I was taped at the Museum of Modern Art through our friends at 92NY. Uh, great audience. They were there for me and Mark in the best possible way. I know you'll enjoy it. You'll feel the energy of that room. One note, uh, the, the sound... Not up to my lofty standards. It's uh, Mark sounds a little muffled. It's still totally fine, but uh, I just want to note that that yes, I'm aware too that the sound isn't as amazing as uh, I would have liked it to to be. But what are you gonna do? Um, I know you'll still enjoy this nonetheless. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe. And I mean that, guys. Give us a review on iTunes. It means a lot. It spreads the good word. Uh, follow me on social media, Joshua Horowitz. And uh, let's get right to it. Our bonus episode this week. Let me take you live in New York City to a night with me and Mark Marin. Enjoy. Hey, guys. Uh, 
Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Uh, I'm Josh Horowitz. I'm the host of Happy Second Fuse. This is a live taping of my podcast through, yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so this is obviously a 92NY event, but uh, we're here at the Museum of Modern Art. I feel so classy tonight, guys. This is amazing. Uh, a very meaningful uh, place for me and a meaningful chat tonight. Um, the gentleman I'm speaking with, look, I, I do a lot of interviews and mostly I interview filmmakers and actors and I'm a little intimidated because I've heard, been listening to WTF forever and I don't know if I would, would be doing my podcast without Mark Maron's podcast. He, of course, is a, uh, a brilliant stand-up comedian. He's a fantastic actor. We're gonna talk about that as well. Uh, he has a new stand-up special on HBO Max that we're gonna talk uh, a bit about tonight. It's fantastic. It's called From Bleak to Dark. Uh, let's give a warm, not only a 92NY welcome, but a Muse Museum of Modern Art welcome to Mr. Mark Marin. He's sizing you up. Can you feel it? I look, look at him. Is this what you always do? You're just like... Uh, not quite. <laughs> I mean, I don't come out like that. But I just talked to you downstairs. I already sized you up. Yeah. <laughs> and he's still here. what's up in here. Yeah. Good vibes all around. I'll be the judge. <laughs> it feels good, yeah. Um, thanks for doing this, Mark. Sure, man. You uh, got a plan? Not really. Uh, not really. Uh, what do you do? Mark Marin, what's your occupation now? What, when, when someone doesn't know what you do, when you're at customs, when someone asks you and is ignorant of the body of work, what do you say nowadays? I generally say I'm a stand-up comic still, but, but sometimes I just say I'm a song and dance man. <laughs> That's when you were growing up. That was the dream, right? Say, like, sometimes I've said, uh, depending on who I'm talking to, I've said I'm, I'm an entertainer, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but usually I say comic. Yeah. And then they go like, really? From what? Where, where would I know you from? And then it becomes a horrible interrogation uh, yeah. and back I and forth. I have to take my phone out and show them clips. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can honestly say the last dozen years, outside of the voice in my own head, I've probably heard your voice in my head more than any other. How's that going? <laughs> a lot of welcome, welcome to my head. <laughs> I feel like you owe me money. You owe me something for the I'm psychic doing it damage. Now. <laughs> It's happening right now, Josh. This is what you get. Yeah, well, okay, that's fair. Do you feel like there is that intimacy? When people encounter you, do they feel like they know you on a cellular level that is uncomfortable? Yes. <laughs> I, some people, I, I, you, you have to deal with that uh, a lot. I mean, you know, addressing parasocial relationship is something that I'm highly aware of. You, you know, I mean, there are people that understand the relationship, uh, because, you know, I know I'm candid and I know uh, I speak, um, you know, uh, openly about a lot of stuff. And I know that people like you have a relationship with me that is relatively intimate. But I do have, you know, 23 hours in the day without you. <laughs> but that's not the meaningful part. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> No, I think most people that have known me for years know that it's one-sided, but I, I've, I've grown to be you know, gracious around that. Some people, I found it a little odd during the pandemic when I was doing a lot of Instagram lives, 
where I really got the sense that there were people that thought, like, because I'm just on their phone, that we're FaceTiming. <laughs> and, nope. And it could get a little weird sometimes. So I, I'm, I've grown to be careful around that stuff and, and also to try to maintain some boundaries, which was, it, there's, there's people in here that I, you know, when you do Instagram lives, there, it got to a point where I knew some of the people who would show up every day. And, you know, Monica's here, which is nice. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, amazing. But like her and I, I don't know her. She's just a fan, right? So, so what happens, and I'm not saying that in a, in a bad way, but like, but at one point, like, you know, if you're reading comments while you're doing your Instagram live and you get an idea of somebody else, they, they don't, they know me what, from, from what doing that, yeah. but they say something, I misunderstand it. And then I probably texted her. It's like, you don't fucking know me. And then, <laughs> and then like, I, I felt bad that I hurt her feelings. And right. now we know each other by name and, and, uh, I know her, her husband kind of, so. <laughs> And that's not, it's, it's, it's nice, but I don't want a lot of that. Right. <laughs> Little goes a long way, Monica. We love you. <laughs> um, what, speaking of boundaries, you are, you yeah, do, you good do, luck with that. you do seem like an open book, seemingly, like. Oddly, you know, to strangers, to people I've known for years, they're like, what's in there? <laughs> <laughs> it's still an enigma. It's not really. No, I, 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 I do have boundary problems, but I think you know what, you know what's going on. I, I may. I'm an open book, but that doesn't mean you, you, you get all the way in, right? Right. <laughs> like, it's, it's a book, but there's the middle section where you're like, I'm not sure I got that. Right, right. Yeah. You get access to the smoked meats, but not the rest of it. We well, know you I love you that. you get access to a lot of it, but, you know, I, you know just, you know, be careful. Okay, okay. Not uh, you. You can do what, do what you need to do. <laughs> we both have a job to do. Yeah, uh, we do. Are you getting enough out of this so far? It's so good. Okay. So good. It's the, living the dream. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, so before we get to the special, we're in New York. Are you going to watch the special? Yeah, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Easier yeah. on both of us, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Turn it on. Mm -hmm. um, New York, yeah. an important place to you and your growth as a yeah, comedian and your career. Sure. Also, not some... Not the best times here also, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, like in terms of like the, the battles with sobriety, et cetera. How, how fucked up was I here? <laughs> yes, there was some, definitely some years where, where uh, yeah, because I, I was in and out of sobriety for a long time. Right. But I did finally get sober for good here as well. Oh, okay. Right. But when I first moved here in 89, from Boston, I don't think I was quite sober yet. What, what, wait, it, there's... <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting somewhere, yeah? Okay, we have time. Well, I just remember, like, I was down on the Lower East Side, you know, on second between A and B in 1989, and I was sober for about a year, and it was like this, there's a whole heroin operation down there. You, you know, it was crazy. Like, they had the whole street under control. They had guys on each side, and, and there was a doorway Next, right next to where I live, where junkies would line up like it was a movie theater to score bags of dope. And I used to see it and I'd be like, God, that is so sad that these guys are, you know, tethered to this horrible drug. And I, I'd see the same people every day. And, but it is kind of funny to see, you know, 20 junkies dispersed like nothing's happening. If they, if the guy whistles at the end of the street and they're like, oh, I'm just hanging out, you know. So, but the point being like, uh, you know, so I watched that for like a year and a half as a sober person. And then at some point, the day came where I'm like, I wonder what's in that doorway. So <laughs> it didn't take, but, no, you know, no, it, no. it was a, a, a vomit-filled evening. But I tried. So 
There was uh, you know, a lot of in and, in and outs, and, and I definitely ran around drunk here for, for a couple of years on and off. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I, I did get sober in New York. What, and the heart of my sobriety is in New York. So what is, what is New York to you now? Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Perry Street. Okay. <laughs> That's where I go, man. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm breaking my anonymity, but there's this old- Boundaries, club. Mark, we're trying to help you. No. <laughs> there's this old ass AA clubhouse down on Perry Street, and like anybody who's gotten sober here ever for the last 30 some odd years has been to that place. And it's like this, it, it's frozen in time. And if I do come, I, I will go, uh, I'll go sit in there sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's I, always I, like a meeting. You're like, I wonder if there's a meeting. Yep. Because you go to Perry Street, there's sad people in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 7-Eleven. It's just always open. Oh, kind of yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the last special, correct me if I'm wrong, was End Times Fun, I believe, You're right? correct. Uh, so do you feel like you were prescient? You were ahead of the curve. Congratulations. You knew the end was coming. Yes. Uh, and now we are living in the, I don't know, aftermath or just still the According the to the woman who reviewed me in, in Vulture today, and she did a very good job with it, uh, well, I, this is the... Uh, this special is the post-apocalyptic Marin. This is post-end of the world. <laughs> so we're living in post-end times now. It happened, we, it, we just didn't feel it as much as we thought we would. Yeah, it didn't sting as much. just went yeah. right through us. It was kind of like one day, it was sort of, it's a little different. Yeah, over. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the threat level matrix in your head right now? Like what DEF CON are we at in terms of... For me personally or for the world? Oh, boy. Well, something... Something is shifting, you know, in, in, in my being. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what, but, like, I'm giving less and less of a fuck uh, about the world. <laughs> because, like, I think, you know, I've gone through a lot of panic. I'm not sure I'm going to, um, like, I might be here for the fascism. Right. Uh, but I think I'll get out before the, the, the climate meltdown. Right, so the sweet spot. That's as, You're, yeah. that, that's as optimistic as I can be. Right. I don't know. Like, you know, I'm 59. I'm not planning on going anytime soon. But, like, it seems like a, a certain type of governmental situation that's, you know, disconcerting and, and hopefully, you know, not full bore, you know, get on the train time. Oh, but, uh... <laughs> Like I'm, I, there's some part of me that's like has a little faith in in the federalist system that's sort of like my state they won't have trains, right? right. So, right. Just a, Mark Marin, a beacon of hope for exactly. all of us. It's great. <laughs> but I mean, I consider this. I consider that type of uh, uh, like I, you know, for whatever it's worth in terms of how I do comedy. Like there is in this special. You know, the, the first 20 minutes are uh, what I believe my role is as, as a cultural critic or, or satirist or whatever. There, there is a type of comic that I've always done, I've always aspired to, that is really the first 20 minutes of this, which is broader cultural commentary, where I talk about fascism, where I talk about uh, Roe v. Wade, where I talk about yeah. things in a broad sense, so it lasts a bit, but I don't think any of those things are going away. Right. Feels a little Carlin-esque, like I, I would say, so. right? You know, he was never really my guy, but I seem to be compared to him at times. Yeah. I, I think that ultimately the, the special shifts into the personal sure. and then into the tragic and then sort of back uh, into sort of where I'm at currently. I'll take the Carlin thing, but I don't think Carlin uh, showed a, a lot of himself. No, that's true. And yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think, you know, he was, you know, very... Um, uh, 
by the book. He's a very scripted act. I, I, I'm not saying I don't like him, but but I don't mind the comparison. It's going to be like, don't ever say I'm like George Carlin. <laughs> Sorry, no. I compared you to one no, of the no. greats. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't ever compare me to one of the best comics. Yeah. <laughs> um, the point being, um, I, I know I had a point. In uh, terms of like the, the future, where I'm at now, oh, yeah, and yeah. what's happening uh, between fascism and climate, uh, to bo uh, the end of times. Uh, well, oh, yeah. you were talking about being prescient and all this stuff, and you know, I guess I was, but but oh, here, here's what in terms of safety and what I I think about, you know, where I'm at now is that I know I'm doing material that is going to be, you know, deeply offensive to to a certain type of person in this country that are relatively dangerous. Right. right now, I'm not saying that you know that I'm necessarily. They're going to watch the whole thing and be like, "All right, let's get this guy." You know, I would. I would and, and there's something kind of narcissistic about the idea where I'm like, "I don't know, I might get killed after this one." So, <laughs> but there, there's definitely stuff in there that if if I've got it right, people are going to be like, "This is one of them," and you know, put them on the list. Right? If I'm not already on the list, I remember one time when I. Well, they say if you can affect one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one time there was a, you know, um, when I was at Air America, they, it was before whatever's happening now was happening as shamelessly and as, as normalized. And there was this website of a guy that who had just, um, he had made a list of all the Jews in Hollywood, you know, the celebrities. And it was an anti-Semitic sort of like, these are the ones. And and I I, I pushed my producers, I said, if we can just really show this guy just how much these people have accomplished, I think I can change his mind. <laughs> and so we got this creep on the phone, and I was like, do you understand what Einstein did? You know, like that kind of thing. How'd that when, work out? Didn't, he didn't, it didn't turn him. Oh. Um, it was a very uncomfortable segment. But I, I put myself out there. Josh, that's the important thing. Yeah. Did you have, did you, way back when, did you have, uh, uh, did you try different personas, different approaches to comedy? If I had. You're assuming, like, I had much more control over my performances. <laughs> there was no, like, suspender mark. There was no, like, Gallagher with a watermelon mark. There was no prop comic mark. You know, I, there definitely wasn't those. Um, but it's odd because I do, I've watched, you know, over the years, I've, I think my first TV shots were in like 89, Evening at the Improv, and I did a couple of those in 89, 91, and maybe Caroline's Comedy Hour. There's a lot of basic cable uh, that needed to be filled uh, with, with short stand-up sets. And, and in 89, I'd only been doing stand-up professionally maybe about a year and a half, but I'd been at it for a few years. So when I watch that, you, I can see myself still. Like, there were times where I was angry, and I think if there, were, there was a, a spectrum, there was a period where I thought that my uh, premature bitterness uh, was um, not appealing necessarily, but I really thought when I was in New York in the, in the late 80s, or, or whatever it was, early, no, mid-90s, and I was down there at Luna Lounge, you know, yelling about this or that, that I really thought that, like, I was speaking for everyone. Mm. And, and, and if you didn't think I was speaking for you, uh, you just have to go deeper. That everybody has got to be as mad and, you know, and self-centered and as immature as me. And that, I'm backloading that. But, um, but they, I, they aren't. And, and so it wasn't so much 
personas. They were all manifestations of, I think my, my, what I'm getting at is that my sense of self uh, was never that well structured, you know, because of how I was parented. So, um, so I kind of had to put it together on my own. Right. It's true. Uh, and I figured out this late, figured this out later. So these were really all attempts at, at, at being myself. I, I don't think I ever got into stand up uh, to entertain people. I, I thought there was a, a way to get at some, some sort of truth up there and that, the, that if you could figure it out, you could be exactly who you are. It, it's a weird perception, but, it, but oddly, my friend Tom Sharkley, and I did a show the other night, and he said to me, he said, this, you know, he said, this special is really as close to who you are as I've ever seen. It's as close to who you are when we're just talking. And I'm like, I, you know, I finally did it. I, 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 uh, I found myself. <laughs> So this special came out of uh, an insane period of time, clearly. Um, in, early in the pandemic, uh, you lost a loved one, the great Lynn Shelton. Yes. Um, and you deal with it in this, in this special. And that's, uh, you know, that's fraught. That's territory that you gotta, you know, you gotta be careful about. Was there, could you have conceived of, of not dealing with that in the special? Was there, did you give that thought? Was it like, how can I get back and deal with what I'm dealing with without addressing it? I don't know. You, you know, I, I don't know if I, if I could have uh, uh, conceived of, of not doing it in the special, because it was, you know, you're, I'm a public person, she was a public person. Yeah. So like, there was part of me that really didn't want people to be like, no, this sad, you know, to bring, don't bring it up, do we bring it up? And I'm like, you know, I, don't, I didn't want to be that person. Right. And, you know, to have it just sitting there, you, you know, and, and I, I guess on some level it would have been more appropriate just to, to you know, not talk about it publicly. It's, it's tricky because in the special, I, you know, I, I address that, like, you know, what, what would you think of this? And, you know, in my life, over time, I've learned that talking about other people is uh, dicey it, because most of the time, like whether it be a, a girlfriend or, or personal people in my life, that they don't, they, they can't respond generally. They don't have a platform. There's not like a competing podcast of my exes. <laughs> don't give them ideas, Mark, Mark, Mark. I'm not, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not suggesting it. <laughs> you know, just a podcast called We Fucked Him. <laughs> so... Got a rotating crew, you know. <laughs> Five seasons yeah. greenlit. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, endless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to need new cast. No problem. Um, so, yeah. So, so, but, but Lynn's dead, you know, and like she certainly uh, uh, can't engage with how I handle it. And and I also think about her family, who I don't really know that well, because you know we weren't. Uh, together, uh, you know, publicly long enough for us to really establish it. So, I don't know, man. I, I, when I talked about it on the podcast, like you know, days after, like that was the hardest choice. Is that it was some weird commitment to the honesty of whatever the podcast was. Like Brendan and I, my producer, you know, the the understanding we had, the only understanding we had at the beginning of the thing was that we were going to do a new episode, you know, every Monday and Thursday. No matter what, and we have, it's odd. We're weird, but we do it. No vacations with him and I. It's, 
You're welcome. <laughs> and you know, and and that weekend was it, it was all terrible, dude. And you know, and, I, and he's I'm on the phone with him, and he's like, you know, we don't have to do anything ever again. You know, we don't have to do any more shows. Right. You certainly don't have to, you know, do one Monday. And I was like, but this is this is the real shit here. And it wasn't really selfish. I, I, I didn't feel like like going on you know that day to do what we usually did, which was post a posthumous episode at, you know as a remembrance, you know. But I decided to do it because I thought the rawness of whatever I was experiencing, which was awful, and I've not listened to it since I did it, would somehow be uh, a service. Like I, I I wasn't looking for love or support. You know, I, I just thought like, well, this is what we do, so let's do it. And I don't, I think it was an okay decision, but it must have been horrendous to listen to. But oddly, it wasn't. A lot of people were like, you know, thanks for sharing that. And I'm like, hey, okay. Uh, but in terms of the stand-up, I don't know. It just seemed like, it, it seemed like it had to be talked about because there's just no dialogue around that. The one thing about, uh, about the, COVID, and I imagine there's people in this room, especially here in New York, that probably lost people to COVID, you know, for fuck's sake. And, and it's just like, you know, you're isolated. And I think you're isolated and grieving without COVID in a way, but you're more isolated, you know, with COVID and you, you're processing this thing. There's nothing more human than, than, you know, dying. And there's really nothing more human than, than experiencing grief among other people. But everyone's so terrified to die that the conversation around grief is just like, you know, don't remind me. So right. really, and I think that's the core of it, right? Yeah. Don't remind so, me of my own mortality. That's right. Yes. So I, I, again, I thought, well, you know, this is not like, I'm not choosing to do what I did around that as like, you know, this will be a great entertaining thing for people. <laughs> you know, I, I think there yeah. was a way to process it you know, publicly with enough heart and, and, and ultimately the humor caught up but I, I thought again that this, that sharing this in a way, and I've said it before in interviews, that the reason that I gravitated towards comedy when I was younger was that these guys were able to take almost anything and make it, you know, uh, emotionally, intellectually, uh, and and humorously manageable. Yeah, I mean that's the gift of it. Is that like you know, are you terrified? Are you angry? Are you sad? You know, uh, are you lost? Well, well, here's a little a little funny to, to shine a little light on that and, and compartmentalize it in your brain in a different way. So that was the gift, right? That's the gift. So I, you know, but, but beside that, it wasn't like I was sitting here like, I'm here to help the world. It was like, I, you know, I'm going to have to address this somehow. And, and for the first, you, you know, a uh, few times, because I write on stage where it's a process with me and people who witness that, you know, once I'm doing theaters, you know, it's already in some sort of shape. But the shows I was doing were like two hours long, some of them. But at the beginning, you know, when we came out of the pandemic and I started working on this stuff, I was doing a residency at a small black box theater, which is why the idea of it keeps coming up. Um, <laughs> it's a through line of the special, the black box, the one person show thing. So, but, you know, I would have fans come, you know, with a reasonably priced ticket. It was a little less reasonable than usual, but, like, you know, my agent's kind of whatever. So, <laughs> you know, it's one thing, all, you know, initially when I did those kind of shows, it was a workshop. And then, you know, somewhere when somebody gets involved that's making money off you, it's like an intimate evening with. Right. So, yeah. 
fine line, you know? Yep, yep. About 20 bucks at least. Exactly, exactly $20. <laughs> and, uh, but, but as I was going through that stuff, like what I do is I'll put myself in a position to be discussing things uh, about my life that I think there's something there that, you know, the, I'll get to the core of it. And then because I'm in front of you, that I will find funny. That's the process. Right. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't write a little math problem joke, you know, where it's sort of like, let's see if this tag works. Like, it's got to be delivered to me. So during that process, like, you know, I was crying. There was, I couldn't handle it, talking about it. But I knew because of Instagram Live and some other things that the fans that were there were there for that. And, and the process of discussing loss uh, in and of itself is cathartic for people. So that was like there, that point, that, that horrendously beautiful joke about, you know, you know, visiting her body, yeah. which is, it's horrendous, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Like when I finally released the tension with the punchline there, I, I, I would look at it audiences and some of them were like, no, why'd you have to ruin the, the, the nice, sad thing. We were so close. We, yeah, were, we, really were, we were right there at the emotional yeah. end. It was like, no! Yeah, so... Uh, but, but the process unfolded in that I think that most of the stuff that I did around it, like the hummingbird thing, like the hummingbird thing in and of itself, which is a real thing, you know, because, you, you know, when you're, you're shattered in grief, you're looking right. for for continuity, even if it's kind of mystical or spiritual, whatever. So it was a real thing to, to believe that, that her energy or her, her, she was now a hummingbird. So that in of itself is, is a beautiful sentiment and it's, it's kind of sad, but it, it could operate on its own as a story one would tell publicly and people would be like, <laughs> but then like, you know, when I, I found certain ways to call back the birds in a comedic way, you don't lose the right. poignancy yeah, of yeah. it. But you add this other layer, so there's this odd balance that starts to happen. But, you know, in retrospect, I start to think, like, you know, Mark, are you really emotionally dealing with any of this shit? <laughs> I don't know. I, I believe I am, and certainly with the grief I am, because, like, the, the bottom line about comedy is, like, you know, it's a good way to keep people the fuck out. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a good way to hijack emotions and and kind of take them in another direction or or throw them off to somebody else and and just kind of divert the experience of full feeling so i don't know uh but it's still know. in there everything you just said is exactly that it's yeah, like it's there to dismantle it publicly and, and <laughs> you know, make myself doubt my work no, it's okay that's go right, ahead that's right well, guys, I don't know about you, but these cold winter nights make me appreciate all the more a product like Bowl and Branch. These sheets are keeping me warm and cozy all winter long with a set of their buttery soft sheets. They're made with 100% organic cotton threads that get softer with every wash. And they come in a variety of great colors. My wife and I love this product. The sheets feel great. They look great. They make great gifts. It just checks all the boxes. Plus, these sheets are designed to feel incredible for every kind of sleeper. And they're made without toxins. They're free from pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. And these sheets 
fit the deepest of mattresses and labeled with top and bottom tags so making your bed is easier than ever they come in 10 versatile colors and all sizes from twin up to california king and best of all Bowl and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee, guys, with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. What more do I have to say? How important is sleep to you and your loved ones? It's everything to me. That's what Bowl and Branch can mean to you. So make the most of bedtime with Bowl and Branch sheets. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code HSC at bowlandbranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Bowl and Branch. B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H dot com, promo code HSC. I want to talk a little bit about uh, acting in the podcast and, and, and how they kind of interact, because it feels like, whether by design or not, you've had this amazing seat at an acting class for the last... That's dozen true. years. One second. The, the other thing is... <laughs> I'll just go. Let me know when you're ready for me, okay? Yeah, yeah. I will. <laughs> is that the thing about, like, what happened on, in the special and what happens in... Is that the thing about grief, and I, and I do believe that I've, I've said it before, is that it's like... I don't think it's necessarily wrong to manage grief with whatever you need to manage it if it's not, you know, full kind of, like, it, it, you know, repression of it. Because like you, it, it is an active thing and, and it lives in you. So, so you, once you experience it, you have to regulate it somehow. You, you know, and I believe that, that that is sort of what's going on up there. And I think it's much better than, than stuffing it all, but to sort of let it happen. Like I was just the other night, man. I mean, I don't know why. I was in the hotel the uh, night before last and I was going over you know, that, you know, that last day I had with her and I was going over it beat by beat. You know, I, I, and I, I couldn't stop it. And, and I think there's some, part, some investigation of like, you know, what, what happened that day? There's no wise anything, but, but your brain will do it yeah. and you just have to let it happen and, you know, and cry or whatever you need to do as long as it's not like, you know, what did I do wrong? What could I have done, you know? Anyway. Well, no, I mean, uh, it's, it's also, there's also this bullshit thing of closure. Like, it's not like you've just dealt with this and it's like over now. Closure <laughs> is death. Right. It's... <laughs> The That's closure's the only... coming, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the, everything else is integration. Yeah, yeah. Acting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one concrete acting uh, like tip you've gotten from just like interacting with these greats over the last dozen years. Like, do you do you actively try to absorb? Well, yeah. Something? Once I started acting, I was clearly asking all of them. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like you're like I'm just starting with this thing. Like, so give me, you know, like you know, like I was talking to Paul Dano about animal work, right? But more, <laughs> which is like just something I knew from college. You're like, do you do animal work? And and he was like, I do a little bit. I'm like, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Jackpot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm not going to do animal work. I mean, now's the time. So it's not going to happen some... for me. <laughs> I get it, you know. But I, I think the the. Like the truth is, is like half of these actors between you and me, <laughs> they're just getting away with something. Seriously, I mean, you know, either you got it or you don't. You, you know what I mean? And a lot of them, you know, get a, a knack for it. And I think that when you're talking, especially like kind of movie star stuff, you know, I think that like 85% of it is just natural talent. 
and you, know, you don't know why someone fits on a screen. And these guys, they learn how to do a thing and whatever. There's no, the deeper actors, like, you know, when you talk to them, they can't really explain anything. Right. You, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're not acting teachers because they made it. So. <laughs> Ouch, but true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> They don't know exactly what it is. There's no system, but some of them do, they do have things they do, and sometimes they'll tell me what they are. But most of it, it just seemed like, uh, you know, be present, listen. You know, it, some people are into making choices, which I think is smart to make choices before you enter a scene. Don't just be there sort of like, I got no plan, you know? So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I think it was mostly something that, it was the act of the podcast is just to, you know, empathetically listen and to be present for the thing. Right. You know, because if you're just running lines, which you'll feel happen, especially when you're doing TV or whatever, and I'm no veteran of this stuff, but you repeat something enough, you know, where are you going to find the juice? Right. You know, and, and then ultimately they'll be like, we're going to use that one. I'm like, I was asleep during that one. And they're like, it, it read well. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I must be a real actor then. So... Do you still feel like, do you feel imposter syndrome at this point? Because like now, like it's not like a, you know, it's not a novelty anymore. Like now you have like a real acting career with a variety of roles and different kinds of things from Glow to Joker to your own show. Yeah, I, I don't know if like, I, I, I don't know if I ever felt imposter syndrome, but I felt like I, it wasn't my job. Okay. You know what I mean? It's different. Like, because, you know, stand-ups will act and it was always something I wanted to do. But, you know, you're an actor when it's your job. Right. Like, it's the same with stand-up. You know, if someone's a stand-up because, you know, they did three open mics and, uh, you know, they're doing another one. They're like, I'm a comic. I'm like, do you do the job? You know, you got to do the fucking job. Right. So, so for me, it was like, you know, I did it and, and I sucked. I mean, I did my own show, The Marin, and I knew from having friends in, in, in comics get shows that I was going to suck for a while. It was like Jim Norton, <laughs> he says, uh, like, you know, because I, I, I had the same experience. Like, a lot of times when you're starting as an actor, you're like, all you're thinking is like, what do I do with my hands? Right. So, <laughs> and you're never thinking about your hands. Yeah. But like, when you're in a scene, you're like, just sitting here. Like, <laughs> but I knew it would be bad, but I knew that I was playing myself, and I knew that I would figure it out, at least how to be on set and stuff. But with Two Leslie and with respect... You know, I, I, was, I was making choices. I was doing things that I learned from the guys I talked to. You know, playing Wexler in, uh, in respect. You know, I, I studied what little footage there was about him to get that accent. And, you know, doing a, you know, a, you know, a Brooklyn Jew is not a stretch. It, you, you know, if you are an East Coast <laughs> Jew, all the dialects live within you. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're just right there, you know. So... Um, <laughs> It's a miracle. He's a chameleon. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> so, how was the, how was the audition for James Cameron Avatar? You met with James that Cameron. That was ridiculous. <laughs> Why the fuck would I want that job? Number one. So, look. Set the whatever. scene for me. Give me a little. What bit. the scene was like? You know, you drive out to like the, to Long Beach, where he you know he owns Long Beach, <laughs> and. You know, he, it's like, look, he's not, he's not a bad guy. You know, I, I don't think, I don't know, but you know, <laughs> but you go out there and you go in this office and they're like, you know, I want you to, 
to read for this part. I don't even remember what it was. You know, it was like a, a, a doctor or a scientist who drank. I don't know. I think uh, the guy from Flight of the Concords got it. Oh, yeah, Jermaine. Jermaine, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, good. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you know, but, like, but there's this assumption, like, you know, we're going to do four Avatar movies. I'm like, dude, I don't even remember the first one. I, I, don't, I don't know what this all means to the world, but, like, but the, he built a city down there, and he had people working and doing acrobatics there all the time. There were tight ropes and cameras and people flying and stuff. It was like Cirque du Soleil down there. <laughs> so you go in, and he gives you the script. He's like, uh, can I have your, you know, you, you can't take a picture of this. You can't, you know, this doesn't leave the building, this script. I'm like, okay, man. He's like, go, go take a look, uh, look it over, because you know, you're here. You might as well just read for this today. I'm like, okay. So, so I go in the other room. And he's got like the only cool thing about auditioning for James Cameron, he's got sort of like a museum of James Cameron. Right. Like, you, there's a room there where you can see like the Titanic model and, uh, and like some other stuff from the other movies. Big fan, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and you're like, this is kind of cool. So that yeah. was how you did the thing. All right. So I go read the script, and I kind of like, and, and then all of a sudden you're in this free zone with these like these people that he just has around down there to read parts and fly and be on <laughs> dollies or whatever. So uh, I'm, he, he, I'm on camera, I think. And, you know, yeah, I got a picture, whatever the fuck it is, a boat or whatever, and uh, then there's other people around. So I'm just in the middle of this thing with no, I'm totally untethered. I have no sense of character. I don't know really what's happening around me other than there are several, you know, just unidentified actor people right. and acrobats around me. And you didn't get the part. Shocking. You knew so much. <laughs> Thank God. Because, like, you know, my, my agent, here's the fucked up thing about me in acting. It's like, I don't like being away from home. Yeah, it's right. not my bag. If you, if you want to act, these guys are sort of like, yeah, I got to go to Morocco for six months. I'm like, I'm out. You know what I'm out. Yeah. Like, I got anxious just thinking about being there a week. Right. You know, what am I going to eat? Right. So. <laughs> but, but that was the thing, like, you know, because, like, you, you go down there and you got, you're almost in a contract when you go down right, there. Right. And my agent, who was an old timer at that time, that guy, he, he quit being an agent, but he was great. He's like, you're probably going to go to New Zealand for four years. And I'm like, <laughs> I go, well, whatever the fuck it was, like some ridiculous amount of time. You're going to have to go to New Zealand, you know, for a, you know, a while. Yeah. And I'm like, it's not happening. And I, I have no problem with it. I had nothing invested in it other than the experience of like, all right, I, I'll go take the meeting. Right. And then he sent me a box of cigars because he didn't cast me. And I'm like, it's okay. Okay. That's, that's nice. That's a win. Yeah. It's all right. You know, like, I don't know, man. I got all right. So we're gonna at, this, at this age, I'm like, I have no problem saying no. Okay. Seriously. So we're going to cross James Cameron off the list of filmmakers right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of filmmakers, okay, here's a geeky... But how much was Jermaine even in it? Not that much. Not that much. Like, I would have had to go to New Zealand for a year. You'd still be there. And people yeah. would be like, I didn't... Re re were you in it? <laughs> right. <laughs> Can someone buy uh, me and Mark two tickets to Avatar tonight? We're going to go to the 10 o'clock. And you'll be like, there, did you see him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, speaking of family. He lives in New Zealand. It was good. It was good. <laughs> he had family there. It was, it was a no-brainer. 
What ha what happened to the David Fincher episode of WTF? You taped I have it. No, but you never released it. Yeah, because he's a weirdo. Okay. <laughs> That's it. No, I mean, well, what do you want to know? Like, I, we, you know, I talked to him for two fucking hours, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, we're not finished. And I'm like, okay. He's so like, but it, it's, what's happening? These are going to be questions. It's, it's okay, uh, it's okay. They've got questions for you, Mark. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. You, you don't seem okay. You know, <laughs> just generally, like, in my experience, when someone rushes on stage... <laughs> In the middle of a show, it's not a welcome event. <laughs> Even though I saw that woman backstage, it seemed nice. <laughs> the David Fincher episode is just there. You know, I've talked to Brendan about releasing it, but like it's one of those things where it, there's nothing wrong with it. He's just kind of an odd guy that I think he just overthought it and he's like, you know, maybe we could do more or whatever. But okay. for me, it's just sitting there. And, you know, I think we were going to reach out to see if we could. Uh, release it without reprisals of some kind for as a bonus episode or something. We'll see. I, I don't know who we got to, because it was like, it, it gets set up through a publicist, and it's just funny that those conversations where, you know, uh, like, oh, what? we can't just put it up as the bonus episode. We got the bonus episode stuff now. And Brendan's like, I don't know. I got to reach out to the publicist that set it up, and, and we'll see. And, and then he's like, I don't even know if they're there anymore. I'm like, oh, well, then let's just do it. What's the worst that could happen? I don't get into a David Fincher movie. It doesn't, that hasn't happened yet. It's probably not going to happen. So let's right. do it. But what are we done with the, we the acting part? We should mention To Leslie, which is a fantastic film and a well, that, performance. Well, that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, let's do it. Because the two last week thing, in terms of like me acting and, and people thinking I'm a good actor, which is fine, I felt like I, I'm doing the work, of, which was getting at with Wexler, was that making choices. And, and, but like, it was so funny because um, I've told this story like so many times and it does not get the laugh where I wanted to. But we're going to go for it again? We're going to yeah. do it one more time? Okay. Yeah. So, Commitment. But I don't know what it takes. <laughs> I didn't want to do that movie, dude. Like, I was, I was sad. It was right. in peak COVID, right? And I get, I get this call from my manager, and they're like, this guy wants you to do this movie. I'm like, what is it? And they send me the script. I'm like, there's like a dozen dudes that I can name who could play this guy. What does he want me for? You know, because right. it was not me. You know, this guy was, you know. No, yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't believe the guy really wanted me. I was sort of like, who doesn't want to do this? Everybody? So... <laughs> But then the guy enlists, you know, Chelsea Handler, you know, who I know and I'm afraid of. And, <laughs> and, and Chelsea Handler texts me and she says, my friend Michael, and I don't, I don't even think they're friends anymore, but, but she says, my friend Michael wants to talk to you about doing this movie. And I'm like, I don't want to upset her. So I'm like, all right, okay. So then Michael gets on the phone with me and he's like, I love you, I love your work, I love, you know, Marin. I'm like, this guy's doing it and he's talking good. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> the last season of Marin, like, oh, he's nailing this shit. You know, so, then he's like, sort of trust the movie I, I did with Lynn. He's like, oh, thank you, it's a great movie, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was something. And he's like, I want you to do this. And I'm like, all right, so, but, all right, so, but I, I can't do an accent, man. He's like, don't worry about the accent. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, I, did, I just want you to do the part. I'm like, okay. And then like I sat with it and I, and I realized like, you know, if I'm gonna do this acting thing, 
dude, you're going to have to try do an accent. You know, and I just interviewed James Caan, and because of that, you know, I watched all his old shit. And there's an old ass James Caan movie called Rain People, which was Coppola's first movie that not many people have seen. It's uh, and and he plays like a, a, a mentally disabled person who, with an accent, and it was <laughs> it was it was not easy going. So. <laughs> And then I realized there's plenty of people you see do accents, and you're like, not great, but still not a bad performance, right? right. So I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do this accent. So I didn't know how to do it. So I, we get hold of a dialect coach who's a real good one, and she says, all right, there's not really a Texan accent. I'm like, I grew up in New Mexico, and you're wrong. So, <laughs> but she said, uh, there's a lot of different dialects. And she goes, we're going to do Lubbock. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> And I'm going to send you some video, and I'll send you phonetics to break down the, how you say things. Uh, and you'll watch the videos, and, and here's a key to how to say things. And I'm like, great, there's videos to be, you know, that'll teach me how to speak Lubbock. Yeah. And these videos were just like weird, like not even interviews that were televised of Mac Davis. <laughs> See, a few people, the right people laugh because they remember... <laughs> Most people have no point of reference for Mac Davis unless you have a certain age. So Mac Davis was this singer and songwriter and actor. He was in North Dallas 40 with Nick Nolte. Sure. Uh, he wrote, I think, In the Ghetto for Elvis. And he was sort of a popular singer in the 70s. Like he had a big hit with uh, Baby, Baby, Don't Get Hooked on Me. Okay. Great, yeah. So my dad had the eight track in the car. But to me, that's like the weirdest off the... Like, how do you fucking decide... Like, you know, she made, she decided, like, there's only one place to go for the Lubbock. Obviously. Classic Lubbock. Got to pull yeah. those Mac Davis interviews, <laughs> you know, you know, for, for like, the, the Grammy Awards, you know, and, uh, whatever. So, but that's that story. So I tried it, and I think I did all right. And I had no idea this thing was going to get this much attention, right? I thought, like, maybe no one will see it, and, like, I had nothing... Do you feel like a pawn in this media game, Mark? Because no, you were no. just trying to spread the good word of a lovely performance from your friend, oh, yeah, Andrea. Them. Fuck the like... academy. You know, and fuck the consultants that, that run these campaigns. It was all a divide and conquer rigged thing to, uh, to, to draw attention that they fucking failed. Right. So fuck them. But, um, <laughs> and I... <laughs> and then the academy was like, I don't know what we do. What do we do? There's optics around. You know, like... And so they, like, if you want to fix something around the voting on social media, just fix it for next time. Don't, you know, Andrea Riceboro, and I've said all this already. It doesn't matter. I've said it all already. She is not the kind of actress right. that gives a fuck about this shit. And then she's now all of a sudden the one, the one, she gets this beautiful thing and it's so toxic and loaded. And it's just sort of like, she didn't want anything to do with this. Yeah, yeah. But, but she deserves it. <laughs> the good side is... And I'll be honest, I watch a ton of movies. It slipped by me, and now I've seen it, and I know... It didn't slip by you. There was nowhere to see it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Literally. Now, I mean, like, I don't... Like, I didn't... I had to see it at a screening, so... But uh, all I know is that in the big picture, like, I know that I watched myself in that movie, and I'm like, I did a good job. I did all right. I'm happy with that. I have no problems. You know, I could have made a couple choices differently, but nobody knows that. So anything that comes back to me, I'm like, all I'm thinking is, like, thank God I didn't suck, because... <laughs> If I'd gotten this much attention and I sucked, <laughs> I don't know if I could live with it. 
for most of us, learning a second language in high school or college was not exactly a high point in our academic careers. I know it wasn't for me. I tried Italian, I tried French, and none of it stuck. But now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. I'm doing Italian because I love to travel, and I love going to Italy, and I want to engage the culture in a little bit of a more profound and meaningful way, and yeah, I want to be able to order better in Italian restaurants, okay? Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new lesson and language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Plus, you can choose from over 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. They've got lessons that you can access, podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free, guys. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code HSC. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code HSC. Let's run through some wonderful questions from our audience. You ready? And uh, whoever's reporting for whatever, you don't have to you know, re-quote me about, about the two less we thing. And then Marin said. So, um, okay. Mark, how many cats is too many? The one and three, which I have. That's, that's, a, that's, that's the, the limit. Point? Yeah. No, like, I, like my ex-girlfriend, Tara, had like nine. It was like a little rough. They were all feral. That was crazy. <laughs> She's okay. okay. Uh, Andrea wants to know, how do you prepare for your interviews? They seem so organic. Well, I, I'm selfishly curious about this because this is what I do too. Like, how, what's in front of you? Are there a lot of notes? Do you do a lot of prep? What, what's the balance? What do you... No, I try to, like, as time went on, I tried to at least, you know, watch the thing they were there to plug. Yeah. Because, because a lot of times, like... Uh, they know it's a career, it's a broad interview. They know it's long form. They know what they're getting into. But I find that, uh, that sometimes, like, you, you know, people, maybe I don't know them that well or don't know their stuff that well. But, like, you know, it's a good way to, to sort of lube up the, the conversation when you're like, yeah, I watched a new thing and, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, ah, ah. and then you're like, <laughs> then you're in, you know. So, But ultimately, I, I don't prepare other than get a sense of who I think the person is. Right. Right? So, and usually I'm, I'm, I'm kind of off, but it, it all depends on my feelings for the person. And then after I see their work, like a lot of times I'm introduced to people because I've, I've agreed to talk to them, which is great because everything's really kind of fresh, you know, when, when, and sometimes I'm amazed uh, that I didn't know more about them. So it's really uh, about getting a sense of who they are, and, and then somehow or another, there's some weird thing in my brain that like right up until like they come over, like there'll be some like weird key or some weird thing that I'll be like, oh, that's the portal 
in to where I'm going to, you know, figure it all out. And it changes for every person, but usually there's this sort of like this moment that I engage with personally in my mind and I can see uh, a conversation unfolding from it. So I hope that helps you. Yeah. Is um, Albert Brooks the one that said the no the mo said no the most? I feel like he's the white whale right now. Well, you know, it, but after a certain point, it's like, fuck it. You know, like yeah. I, I. If you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. What am I going to do? <laughs> I can't. Well, I mean, I don't know what his problem is. Like, he, yeah. he, he, and I've like, seen him a couple of times. Right. Like he came up to me at fucking Gary Shandling's memorial, which was hilarious. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Nealon has never been funny. Go find that. Oh my God. Hilarious. So, but it was a big, beautiful thing, you know, and, and I sat next to a very fragile seeming Tom Petty uh, with his translucent hand skin. So, but like I'm at the memorial and I'm just, I'm walking out, everyone's walking out and I felt like two hands from behind me, grab my shoulders, and I turn around, and Albert Brooks is there wearing a golf hat, and he goes, let's do it now! <laughs> like, ran to the trunk of your car, let me get my equipment. He was making a joke. <laughs> As a fellow member of the tribe, what are your thoughts on circumcision? Uh, Amanda wants to know. Uh, I had it done, and... Um, <laughs> And I was given no choice. Right. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy about it. I like the way it looks. It works well. Um, but the only story I heard about mine is my mother says, we used your grandfather's, your Grandpa Ben's moil, and it took so long. Uh, maybe that's why I'm like I am. I think it's multi-factor. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brian wants to know, what are you eating during this trip to NYC? Well, I'm trying to do, like, I'm trying to stay with the no meat thing, right? So what did I eat? I, I had, uh, I had a, oh, yeah, Brendan and I went to uh, that dirt candy place. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, I'll put it on because my list. Because a lot of times, like, fancy uh, vegan or vegetarian food, it seems like it's, like, a, like it, it's missing a component. Right. Right, like, it's trying to be something it can't. And you're sort of like, it'd be nice if this was, you know, meat. Yep. So, <laughs> right? Uh, but this place, it's like everything's sort of like, oh my God, this is so layered and, you know, different. It's brilliant. And so I ate that. And then I went, like, I don't really know how to eat vegetarian, like, thoroughly well. And, like, yesterday I was starving and I'm like, I can't, I can't go. Where can I go, man? And, like, so I'm like, oh, I'll just go to Yona Schimmel's. And so I... Like I went to Yona Schimmel's and I'm like, no one goes in there. You know, like, <laughs> you walk by that place and it's like, is that even open? Yeah. You know, like, it has not been remodeled in 95 years. Yeah, and it's now been... you can't even sit in there and it's just like a weird counter with no cooking elements anywhere with fucking trays of knishes. And I'm like, I guess it's open. So I go in there. I got a sweet potato condition, then a, a red cabbage condition. The guy goes, you want them hot? And I'm like, yeah. And I just see him stick them in a microwave. I'm like, all right, throw it. <laughs> So I'm like, that's enough with the heat. And I just stood there on, in, on Allen Street in, in the park, and I just shoved two knishes into my face. Wow. And then I went to Whole Foods, and there were two guys in there. This is the fucking beautiful New York thing. Like, they're, like at Whole Foods, like, uh, I go in there, and I sit at the table. I have coffee because I'm trying to read Tim Blake Nelson's new book. 
And because uh, I had him on and I hadn't finished it yet and I felt bad about it, but it's better off that I didn't finish it because I couldn't spoil it. Either. So there's these two guys who like recognize me, but they're just sitting there drinking glasses of water at the coffee shop at Whole Foods. Uh, and I, I had a bottle of water. He's in there like, Dave, have you tried the water here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I got a spigot, you know, and they're like, it's the best water in New York. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, that spigot is triple filtered and you get sparkling too. And I'm like, and they're like, that's all we come for. We don't even get coffee. And I'm like, do you have to pay for it? They're like, no, you just get it. And I'm like, so you guys just come here to drink water? It's like, yeah. And I was like, this is fucking such a New York trip. Like, I, I had the water. It's great water. They sparkling water right there. You can just have it. They were right, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no. What was the question? I don't know. Well, what am eating, I eating? You're eating. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I ate that, and then today I went to Mogador and, and oh. had some stuff. And then uh, tomorrow, oh, God, tomorrow I'll go into, like, somehow or not, I was going to have dinner with Lipsight, right? And, and uh, I, I ran into Kate Berlant on the street yesterday, and she invited me to her show. And the last night is tonight. So, uh, and she's like, you've got to come to my show. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, Bruce Wagner is flying out. Uh, tomorrow to come to my show and I'm like Bruce Wagner's gonna be here and Bruce Wagner's a trip man so like so now somehow or another I'm going to dinner with uh, with Bruce Wagner and Sam Lipside tomorrow at that weird culty Indian vegetarian place down you know the one down on Thompson Ananda or something have you been there I've been there once with with Sarah because she was a vegetarian but it's definitely a front of some <laughs> and I thought like Bruce is gonna love this so I'm looking forward to that. And don't show up. No, no. <laughs> Monica, Monica. I had a guy do that from Instagram. Like, it was so tra tragic in a way. <laughs> for, for you or for him or both? I, it's just, what, like, you know, I, I, I must have been on Instagram. I said, I'm going to go hike with my friend Dan now. Yes. And I'm hiking with Dan. But I knew this guy. He was a, it didn't, it was, Boundaries marked. Well, he was a yoga teacher I had, so like <laughs> years ago. And, and me and Dan are just hiking up this hill, and I hear this guy huffing up behind me, like, Mark, Mark. <laughs> and I'm like, Joe. He's like, Yeah, I, I saw you were, you were hiking, so I thought I'd, I'd join you. Is that okay? I guess, I guess it is. <laughs> but I had, a, I had to tell Joe, it's slightly inappropriate, Joe. <laughs> Let's end, end with this from John B. What do we got to end? What's going on? We, I'm, uh, I'm up. Okay, hey, we'll keep going. I was, I was punchy and now I'm up. Just get on with it. Let's do it. <laughs> what, do you have a time limit on your podcast? <laughs> I want to be respectful of your busy schedule eating all the meats and food of, of New York. It's fucking like 8.30. Oh, what is, I mean, I, I got to eat and I got to sleep. I don't you know guys have I'm anywhere to go? Are we good? Okay. Um, <laughs> a couple of people are like, I've kind of had enough. It's late. <laughs> Rwanda yeah. wants to know, Mark, would you ever oh, consider shit. doing... I thought there was going to be a question about Rwanda. I'm like, <laughs> maybe we should stop. <laughs> Rwanda wants to know, Mark, would you ever consider doing a film on your life story? Obviously, you mind material on the TV show, but... Um, would that yeah. be a good movie? I don't know. I mean, don't, I'm, not, I'm asking that seriously. I don't, I don't know if it would be. You know, I, I, I don't know. Stephen Feinarts, the guy who directed this uh, special, who did a great job, he's been making a documentary on me for like two years now. Like he's been, oh really? Yeah, so so maybe that'll help you with. Uh, maybe that'll <laughs> s s will be enough. Like, 
I don't know. It started with him. I just think it's going to be interesting to see how you develop your new hour post-COVID and, and after Lynn passed away. And, and now it's like it's open-ended. And he's, <laughs> he's going to be with you for life. I guess he's yeah. got all, and then like, well, he got this gig. I'm like, <laughs> I guess you should direct this, the special. You, you, you're here. So. <laughs> what happened? Or have you returned to the script that you and Lynn were working on together? Have you considered going you know, back people, to it? Yeah, some guy keeps bothering me about that. And um, like a, a, a friend of hers. And you know, I, did, I sent a draft. That, the odd thing, the truth of the matter about that script, you know, the story is good, but it's, it's heavy, dude. Yeah. And, and it, it deals with somebody uh, in the script who dies of cancer. And oddly, there, there are moments in the script that, that were frighteningly similar to what Lynn went through that last week. And it's too fucked up and weird for me to deal with in that way. And um, because I don't know what that means for, you know, mysticism. But, you, you know, whatever. So, uh, but, but the thing is, is like, that script oddly served, in, you know, and this is, yeah, I, I, I think I can say it like, she wanted to make a movie with me, which ultimately became sort of trust because we never finished a script. But that script was what we is how we built our relationship with meeting to write. So like that script over the years just became this thing we, we never finished, but we were able to spend all this time together. And so it really represents that more than it does, uh, you know, a movie. And that was how the developing the material went. Yes. <laughs> a sneak peek yeah. into the process. Well, then I am going to end Right with... back down again. No. <laughs> He's back. He's back, guys. Don't worry. It's a gift. Do you have a... John B. wants to know, and this yeah. is a good one to close out. Do you have a good sense for how cool everyone in this audience thinks you are, Mark? I, 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 when people interview me, interview me about my audience, I usually say I don't have a demographic, I have a disposition. <laughs> so I, I believe that what you're saying is true, and I believe that what the people that come to see me are, are an extension of, of my emotions in a way that, like, because, like, I don't, in a very specific way, like, because, like, when you're a comic of, of a certain type, which is a regular kind of comic, you know, I know my, my audience represents who I am in a way. So, so I, that's a weird boundaryless thing to say. So I know how, how cool you think I am, but I also know you have problems. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate it. To, uh... Okay, to, to paraphrase your own podcast, how do we do, Mark? Are we good? We are good, Josh. Good job. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. everybody. Mark Maron, spread the good word from Bleak to Dark, HBO Max. Thank you, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. Ha <laughs> ha